What is up, listeners of the world? My name is Jalen Tully, and welcome to J Talks. and welcome back to another episode of J Talks. I am so happy that you are here and listening given that I went out of my way to make people angry last week. However, this week we are hopefully going to be turning things around because it is inauguration week, which obviously that means that that is going to be the dominant subject of this week's episode, but I am not complaining because there is a lot I want to talk about. I want to talk about the event itself, obviously, but I also want to talk about the safety protocols, how the event went, who spoke, who said what, who was there. And after that, I don't want to spend too much time on the inauguration because most of this episode, I do want to talk about more specifically the administration, the new administration that we are welcoming into the White House. I want to talk about why I am so incredibly thankful and so incredibly happy that Biden, that the Biden-Harris ticket actually won this election and are going to be in the White House making legislation with the executive power that they have for the next four years. I want to talk about what this means for America, what precedent I expect to be set, where I expect us to be a year from now, two years from now, four years from now. And then finally, I want to talk about obviously what needs to be done, what I expect from this administration in terms of legislation, lawmaking, executive power, all of it. I know I talked a little bit about all of this two weeks ago when I did my episode about the Georgia runoffs and the Senate flipping blue, but obviously there is a little more to unbox here. There's a little more to dissect, especially because we're not talking about Congress. We are actually talking about the position of president and the presidency and vice presidency. With that obviously becomes, you know, a change in language and a different kind of decorum that you need to carry yourself with. And I obviously want to get into all of that. But first things first, I just want to talk about two quick things. They're not bad. They're not bad, I promise. I hate that I have to make that clarification, but given that the last couple of weeks have been very doomy and gloomy, I feel like I don't have a choice when it comes to clarifying the mood of each episode every week. (laughs) So you guys probably do not keep tabs on Secretary Mike Pompeo. Why would you? He is a garbage person who never has anything good to say. Anyways, this morning, Mike Pompeo took it upon himself to grace our world with some of his everlasting wisdom. So Mike Pompeo sent out a tweet this morning, and it was a picture of his disgusting self with a quote over it. It was his own quote. These are his own words. And it says, censorship, wokeness, political correctness. It all points in one direction, authoritarianism, cloaked as moral righteousness. Surprisingly, that was not the worst part of the tweet. The worst part of the tweet actually came from the tweet itself, which surrounded this picture that Mike Pompeo tweeted out. And it says, wokeism, multiculturalism, all the isms, they're not who America is. They distort our glorious founding and what this country is all about. Our enemies stoke these, our enemies stoke these divisions because they know they make us weaker. I stumbled over those words because they were so stupid they didn't even feel natural coming out of my mouth. So obviously I felt a lot reading this tweet. I mean, it's it's blatantly racist. It's so blatantly racist. It's disgusting. That out of the way, obviously. But I took it upon myself to reply to Mike Pompeo. And this is why you should follow me on Twitter. 
because I am absolutely hilarious and I do not get the credit that I deserve. And I'm aware that Mike Pompeo will never read my tweet. I'm aware that he has no idea who I am, does not even know of my existence, and if he did, he would probably hate me. But I took the liberty of replying, and I replied in three tweets. I took three tweets to reply. My first one was a direct quote tweet of Pompeo's tweet itself. And I said, This man said multiculturalism isn't who America is, as if this country's land wasn't owned by natives, colonized by whites, tended to by black people, built by Chinese servants, and harvested by Latinos. You didn't even try to hide the ignorance or white supremacy. Tweet number two reads, America is an amalgam of people, histories, and ethnicities. To say people who come from these hundreds of different subsets of people and cultures have to conform to a very specific ideal of what American culture is thought to be is white nationalism at its finest. Finally, my last tweet says, if you are going to try and deny this, you are either a blatant racist toting some of the most basic messages of white supremacy, or you have an IQ no higher than 75. Which is it, Secretary Pompeo? Racist pig or brain-dead moron? And like I said, I know he will never read it. I know he will never see it. I know he will never feel the scorn of my intelligent and deep-cutting words. But that does not change the fact that I absolutely murdered him. I destroyed him. That was just, mwah. I don't always say smart things, but at least on Twitter, I have some more time to think about it so I can make them sound a little bit better. The moral of the story of that overall was more so to just go follow me on Twitter. I kind of just wanted to share that tweet because it was, it was so blatantly coded in white supremacy. It's beyond me how people can see something like that and not see anything wrong with it. To say that America can't be multicultural or America isn't multicultural, dude, go read a book, go do something intelligent, because where have you been for the last 400 years of American history? Where have you been when the natives founded, harvested, cr created this land before anyone else founded it? Where were you when white colonizers came and pillaged them and killed them? Where were you when white colonizers also brought black people here on slave ships to work this land? Where were you when Chinese immigrants were turned into servants to, to work arduous hours building railroads and buildings and entire cities that we now profit off of and live in? I mean, even, even that all that stuff is more historical, but where are you today? When there are Latino immigrants working in our fields and there's a pre still the current president of the United States is looking them dead in the eyes and saying, we don't want you here. You're rapists and you're criminals, even though they keep our agriculture alive. They provide food for us. They have been harvesting food and providing and putting food on our plates throughout the entirety of this pandemic. I mean, it's just like I said, I didn't want to spend too much time on that. Like, I said all I needed to say. It's just no one can deny that we are an incredibly diverse country. I mean, America's considered the melting pot country. And that that's irrefutable. You cannot argue that. So it's it's disgusting when there are people as quote unquote well respected and as looked up to and as followed and as listened to as Mike Pompeo hopping on Twitter and saying something as blatantly racist as this. It's just it's it's disgusting. It leaves a bad taste in my mouth, and when I come on here and talk about it, it doesn't make me feel better, but it makes me feel better to know that I got it out and I said what needed to be said and I said what was necessary. We're going to move on from that, and I just want to talk about one more quick thing before we get into the actual meat of this episode and what I want this episode to actually be about. 
that being, I should not have to sit here and waste my time saying this. I don't know who needs to hear this, but Twitter, Facebook, or any other social media platform banning, suspending, deleting, or removing your account or content that you post is not a violation of your First Amendment rights. I I don't know how we got to this point. I don't know how we got to a point where this many people, because it's not a lot of people and I'm trying to convince myself of that every single day. I'm trying to remind myself that this is not a majority in our society, the people who genuinely believe that their First Amendment rights have been violated because their Twitter account was deleted, but it alarms me. And it especially alarms me because not only are there hundreds of thousands of civilians who are saying this is a violation of their constitutional rights and saying that they have a right to spread whatever toxic right-wing rhetoric they want to, but the fact that we have Congress members and members of the president's cabinet and the president himself saying that this is a constitutional right. And it's it's so it's so toxic because it's so not true. And that that's the part that probably bothers me the most is that a lot of these people probably haven't even read the Constitution, which I definitely recommend you should please do it because obviously we need some more people who actually know what it says. But in case you don't want to read, can't read, don't feel like it, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to try and explain to you why Twitter suspending your account or deleting your posts is not actually a violation of your First Amendment rights. Now, I'm going to ask two questions, and depending on how you answer them is going to be the answer as to whether or not your First Amendment rights has been violated. So first question, has the federal government censored, fined, imprisoned, or otherwise punished you for a way you chose to express yourself or for words that you chose to speak? If the answer to that is yes, then I would suggest finding a lawyer and getting some legal advice because chances are your First Amendment rights have most likely been violated. Second question, has a social media company chosen to ban, suspend, or remove content or your account from said social media platform? If you answered yes to that question, Congrats! Your First Amendment rights have not been violated. You were probably being an asshole and you most likely deserved it. Social media companies removing your racist right-wing rhetoric from online, say that five times fast, social media companies removing your racist right-wing rhetoric from their platform is not a violation of your First Amendment rights. They just don't want you to perpetuate those toxic and potentially dangerous thoughts on their website because it causes people to die like we saw two Wednesdays ago. So congrats in perpetuating thoughts in a system that causes social media companies to take such drastic measures as these because violence has actually been perpetuated from these thoughts and allowing them to fester for any longer could actually cause damage to not just our democracy, but the people who live here. However, I have finally gotten to the part of the episode that I know I'm excited for. I know you're probably excited for. Joseph R. Biden is officially the 46th president of the United States of America. It feels incredible to be able to say that. It feels incredible to be able to say Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It feels amazing to be able to say Vice President Kamala Harris. I cannot even explain the amalgam of feelings I'm having right now. The inauguration ceremony went better than I expected. No discourse from what I saw. There are still a couple events that we have to get through today, such as the parade across America and celebrating America. 
but so far, like I said, the day has gone so smoothly. There has been no opposition, or at least people haven't been paying attention to it, and it's been so insignificant. I think they've done an absolutely incredible job of reinforcing and supporting and keeping this event safe and sanctioned. And I honestly could not say that this day could have gone any better. I want to obviously talk about the ceremony first, and then I want to dive into the actual administration and everything. Biden's speech absolutely blew me out of the water. I did not expect it to be that great, or maybe it's just because over the last four years, my expectations have dropped so low when it comes to a presidential speech that like when someone barely skims the bar, it just blows me out of the water. But either way, he did a great job. At least I think he did. I am aware that his message of unity and healing is kind of what got him elected. I mean, if we're being honest, but I personally, I don't really like that he is still saying that, especially after the insurrection that happened two weeks ago, because it plays off the same type of way that Republicans have been using it for the last two weeks, where they've been like, we have to unify the country. We can't impeach Donald Trump. We can't convict Donald Trump. We can't carry forward with these legal proceedings or convictions. We have to unify the country. And I feel like him saying it, I know he's not necessarily meaning it in the same way. I know that. But him saying it, at this time, as often as he did in this speech, and with the conviction that he did in this speech, I think it just kind of rings off like how Republicans are saying it. And I just don't think it it was the best choice of words. Because like I said in last week's episode, I don't want to unify with white supremacists. I don't know anyone in my life who wants to unify with white supremacists or wants to unify with Donald Trump or the people who would commit an insurrection against the Capitol building. I don't know any people who want to unify with those types of hillbillies. So that was really the only thing I didn't like. But one thing that I really did like about Joe Biden's speech was he, the way he was talking, because he also did a lot of talking about like the good and bad of America and how this, we have to unify against the bad and go forward as one cohesive society. And instead of making it, like a white and black division, instead of making it a Democrat-Republican division, instead of making it a conservative-liberal division, he made it a racist and non-racist division. And I liked that. I don't know if anyone else felt that they picked up on that too, but definitely as I was watching, especially as he continued to bring up um, like racial justice and the insurrection that happened at the Capitol and pointing and saying that white supremacy was the cause of this stuff and white supremacy is on the rise. And just some of the comments that he was making and some of the things he was saying in his speech really made me feel like he was not so much causing a divide. Like obviously his whole unity message, that was helping a little bit, but he he wasn't making it oh, we're, we're going to go forward, but we're still going to have Democrat-Republican divides. Oh, we're going to go forward, but we're still going to have white and black divides. He was, like I said, he was centering it around racism and white supremacy himself. He was saying, you have to be on the side of good. If you want to be on the side of good, then we have to fight these people. And we have to tell not just this small, seemingly insignificant group of people in society who genuinely believe that black people are inferior, that inciting an insurrection and violence against the Capitol building is okay. We have to show these people that that way of thinking is wrong. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what political party you belong to. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat, Republican, neither or both. That in white supremacist ideologies, white supremacist way of thinking is wrong. I should not have to say that, but that was 
definitely the message that I was getting from Joe Biden's speech, and I thoroughly liked that because it wasn't it wasn't divisive, but it was stern. And it was like, we have to defeat these enemies because if we don't, they will come back. They will resurface and they will become stronger until they succeed. And that's the issue with white supremacy. Loved Joe Biden's speech, loved how it came out, loved most of what he was saying, supported most of what he was saying. And I thought that he's, he did, he sounded very presidential. He sounded very sure of himself. He sounded very confident and very honest in his policies. And I, I sincerely hope that he's able to carry through and pursue the promises that he made in his speech and has been making over his campaign over the last couple of years. So like I said, I will be anxiously awaiting to see what he accomplishes in the next four years and how he follows through on some of the promises he made in his speech today. Next, I we need to talk about Amanda Gorman. Oh my goodness, this woman, this lady, this incredible human being, she was absolutely astonishing. She was a Maya Angelou reincarnate. It was incredible to listen to her. There are not a lot of times where especially now when, and you know, it's hard to keep your attention focused on one thing. It's hard to not be on your phone when you're listening to something, not be reading a book when you're watching TV. It's hard to just have one thing going at one time in an er in an era of constant stimulation. But when I tell you I dropped my phone and I just watched and was completely captivated by her the entire time she was speaking, that is not even an exaggeration. She it completely captivated me. There's no other way to put it. She had my complete focus and attention the entire time she was reading her poem and the entire time she was reciting. She spoke with such passion. She wrote with such eloquence and conviction. She was she was an incre she was incredible. She is incredible. I will be leaving some resources in the description so you can find more out about her. You can support her, support her work, read more of her poetry. And I'm actually also going to leave a link in the description that takes you to her book. I have not read it yet. I actually just found it when I was reading up on her and I was on Twitter and looking more into her after I saw her performance at the inauguration. And I'm, it's, it's on my wish. It's in my Apple books wish list now. I, and so looking forward to reading so much of her work, if it's even half as good as what she produced at the inauguration. So well done, Amanda Gorman. You spoke not only on behalf of all America, but especially on behalf of the entire Black community and Black women as a whole. As a fellow Black woman, I praise you. I look up to you. I applaud you. You are absolutely incredible. And even though you have no idea who I am and praise from me probably means absolutely nothing, I'm going to buy your book, I'm going to read more of your poetry, and I'm going to urge as many people as possible to do the same because you are truly an icon and you are someone who people need to listen to and people need to heed what you have to say because everything you have to say is so important and so enriched. Next, I want to talk about the outfits that people were wearing. Specifically for one, Michelle Obama. She blew me away. She always blows me away. She always is absolutely stunning and captivating and enthralling, but she really outdid herself today. She, oh my goodness, I cannot, it's, I cannot even put into words. I cannot even do her outfit justice by trying to talk about it, but I'm gonna try. She was wearing this maroon burgundy like dark wine red 
jumpsuit, pantsuit, and it was like cinched at the waist with it with a belt that was the same color as the pantsuit with a big like ornamental buckle in the middle, like gold buckle in the middle with a parka blazer over it that tr that fell like to her mid legs. Oh my goodness, she looked absolutely incredible. Again, every single time I see her and Barack together, I'm I just am always looking at her. I'm not even it doesn't even phase me that Barack Obama was president of the United States. It just phases me that he managed to snag a woman as incredible, as beautiful, as classy as Michelle Obama. She mm, like she she really outdid herself. Don't get me wrong, every single time she would get she was dressed for her White House events every single time she went out. She always carried herself with such class, such decorum, always wearing such incredible outfits, always looking absolutely incredible. But like I said, just oh, her outfit, the way her hair was done. And you could tell, you could tell she was walking with some sass because number 45 was officially out of office. And I think that just added that extra, that extra something that I needed. And on the other side of that, Bernie Sanders, you were also stunning, but for complete opposite reasons. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw what Bernie Sanders was wearing, but it, he was dressed like he knew he had to go to the inauguration, but that wasn't the only thing he had planned that day. <laughs> like he also had other errands he had to run. He was wearing a like windbreaker that was three sizes too big for him, minimum with these giant woolly mittens. And I actually did some digging about those mittens and it turns out that a teacher in Essex, Vermont actually made them for him, I believe on the campaign trail to about two years ago. The wool is made from repurposed wool sweaters and the fleece lining on the inside is made from recycled plastic bottles. They were so cute. They stole the entire inauguration. I've seen so many people talking about them. I've seen so many news outlets, so many stories about them already and the inauguration happened three hours ago. Overall, like I said, the inauguration went great. I am thoroughly impressed with everyone who spoke, everyone who performed, everyone who read work, everyone who was there. At like everyone was held to such a high level of class. It was so refreshing, so relieving to get back to some sense of normalcy when it came to the presidency, not having to hold your breath and be anxious about because you have no idea what this man is going to say next or what, you know, marginalized group he's going to insult or what he's going to say about women or his daughter. It was, it was so refreshing to see people from every walk of life, to see people of every race, to see people of every political party there and nodding along to what Joe Biden was saying instead of half the people sitting there with their MAGA hats on, toting a fist in the air and the other half sitting there with their head in their hands, just trying not to cry. It was absolutely incredible to see everyone, like I said, being a cohesive unit. The start of a cohesive society I feel like is on the cusp. I know it's so corny to say, but I have such positive feelings and I'm so optimistic towards, it's literally a new era. It's the end of an era, an end of such an ugly, misogynistic, xenophobic, racist era in American history. It was four years and it felt like the longest decade of my life. And I'm not going to say we all made it either. I'm not, because that's not fair to say. You know, cause as much as I want to sit here and I want to be like, we did it, we made it, we made it through the four years of Trump's presidency. The fact of the matter is, there are hundreds of thousands of people who did not make it. 
there have been people who have been subject to police violence over the last four years who haven't been able to see the end of this Trump presidency. There have been people who have been subjected to the violence of racism over the last four years and have not been able to see the end of a Trump presidency. There have been people who've been ravaged by this virus and the pandemic who have not been able to see the end of the Trump presidency. Over 400,000 of them now, actually. So as much as I want to sit here and I still want to be optimistic and I still want to be happy, I also have to try and be a realist. And I also have to try and take into account the literally hundreds of thousands of people who, let's face it, aren't, didn't make it with us. And I, I, I don't want to turn this episode sad. I want to keep this positive. I want to keep this as positive as possible. But like I said, we just, that's, that's just something that has to be addressed. That's just something that I had to say. I, I wouldn't have felt good if I had just gone on and said, we, we did it, we made it and not addressed all that. The fact of the matter is that we have officially moved on from a Trump presidency. And I'm so thankful that more people are not going to be subjected to violence or abuse or death or loss because of this man, because we have finally been able to uphold the most sacred tenets of our democracy and vote this man out of office. And I am forever going to be grateful for that. With a smooth transition into my next topic, I specifically want to talk about the administration, why I am so excited, as you can tell by the passion in my voice, by how I'm talking about number 45, by how I'm talking about how he left this country and the state he left this country in. I want to talk about why I'm thankful that the Biden-Harris ticket won this election, and I want to talk about why I'm so excited for what this means for America and the steps that need to be taken to honestly and seriously building a better America and putting our best foot forward to create a better future for the people who are coming behind us. And as much as I don't like the thought of another old white guy being my president, I am thrilled that he chose Kamala to be his vice. I think that is the biggest reason why I'm thankful that this administration won, that this administration is going to be the next one to take over the White House. I think it's so important for people, not just people who look like me, not just people who look like Kamala, not just people who come from different races, who aren't white, who aren't men, who aren't straight. I think it's just as important for those people to see Kamala become vice president of the United States as it is for racists and bigots and xenophobes and those who stormed the Capitol with their Camp Auschwitz sweatshirts and their white supremacy flags and their white supremacy symbolisms. I think it's just as important for those people to see Kamala Harris become vice president of the United States. Because as much as she can turn to the young black girls in this country who want to dream and be able to do anything, as much as she can look at them and say, we can do anything, we can do this. Black women, women in general, Indian women, we can do this because it now it has been done. She can look at those young girls in this country and say that just as much as she can turn to the white supremacists and say that. And that is that is so important. And to to people who might not be of color, to people who might not know or be as educated on the nuances of racism, you might be wondering why is that just as important? I feel like it's more important for, you know, the disadvantaged groups to see this. I feel like it's probably more important for the advantaged groups and the groups who are in power and the groups who are able to elicit their hatred upon others to see this. I think it's important for them to kind of have it shoved in their face that, hey, guess what? A black woman is your vice president. 
a black woman holds the second most powerful position in this country. A black woman is creating policy and creating change and making laws and sitting alongside the president and making policy in this country. A black woman is sitting in the same seat and holding the same position that white men have been holding for the almost 300 year history of this country. It's so important for people who don't think that black people are as competent as white people, who don't think women are as competent as men, who don't think black people are as intelligent, are as capable, are as smart. It's so important for people who genuinely believe that stuff to see that they are, to see that black women can do just as much as white men, to see that women can do just as much as men, to see that black people can do just as much as white people. And it's, it's so important because it does help break down those barriers. It does help break down some of those ignorances and prejudices. It might not do it for everyone. And let's face it, it probably won't do it for everyone. But even if it's just a couple people, even if it's just a couple people being unindoctrinated from that hatred, unindoctrinated from that white supremacy, because they are able to look at their TV, at their news every single night and see a black woman holding, like I said, the second most powerful position in this country. It challenges those ideals. It challenges the most basic tenets of white supremacy. And it forces members of those groups to seriously take a look at what they believe. And like I said, even though most of them probably won't change, even though most of them probably won't grow out of that, some will. And some might come to participate in the bettering of our future and the creation of a better tomorrow. And that's, that's what I'm holding out for. And that's definitely not to say I won't use my voice to also hold this administration accountable and expect to see some growth from their past policy choices and their past poor choices in their careers. Joe Biden, for example, signed the 1994 crime bill, which was partially co-wrote the 1994 crime bill, actually, which disproportionately impacted black and brown communities and disproportionately negatively impacted the black community and sent hundreds of thousands of more black people to prison. And I, I mean, even now we look back on that, we know it wasn't good policy. And honestly, I think they knew then that it wasn't good policy. So I'm going to, Biden has, you know, been making promises about criminal justice reform. He's been making some promises about legalizing, decriminalizing marijuana on a federal level and expunging those former records. And I will genuinely be attempting to hold him to that. I will genuinely be attempting to see where he goes with this criminal justice reform that he's promising. Not to say that he won't do it, not to say that he's not going to follow through or he definitely will follow through because I don't know. I, I'm not in the future yet, but I will be trying to follow this closely because like I said, with the history that not just him, but also that Kamala has as a district attorney and we'll see where they go with this. Like I said, I am optimistic. I'm hopeful. I am very impressed and very happy with some of the promises that they're making with some of the policy that they are promising to, to sign and put into place. But like I said, we will see. We will see who follows through on what. I mean, if we're going by the promises that number 45 made at the beginning of his presidency and what he managed to accomplish by the end, that is a very poor success rate. So I hope that that's not the standard we're going by here. I'm hopeful, but I'm also going to be realistic and say that there's a good to fair chance that we may not see the amount of criminal justice reform or to the extent that both Joe and Kamala are promising. When it comes to 
When it comes to what this means for America, however, I think especially with the events of the past several weeks, especially when it comes to the riots on the Capitol, the rise and boldness of certain white supremacy groups, I think it is very good for the ticket that we that won to be in office now. I think it's very good for a Biden-Harris administration to be in office now, especially because, like I said, I don't know if Joe Biden will carry through on all of his promises, but a lot of the promises that he's also making is racial equality. The fact that he's been so vocal about that throughout his entire campaign, the fact that he was so vocal about that in his speech, he did talk about that a lot in his speech, like I said earlier, a lot about racism, a lot about how we have to fight white supremacy and be anti-racist. Not only is it great to have someone like him as president, but like I said earlier as well, it's also great to have someone like Kamala as vice president because especially with the violence and the riots and the insurrection against the Capitol, this is kind of, I don't want to say a punishment for these people because that's not what it is. It's it's a conflicting reality to their biases and prejudices. It is a very rude, very abhorrent, and very necessary wake-up call. They are, this is very uncomfortable for the people who performed the insurrection against the Capitol a couple weeks ago. It is going to be an uncomfortable four years for those people unless they choose to grow with and walk with the rest of society and join us where we're going. And I think that's incredible because I don't I don't think white supremacists should be able to choose what America they live in. I don't think white supremacists should be able to choose when or when not democracy is okay to adhere to and democracy is okay to support. I don't want white supremacists making those choices for me. I want white supremacists to grow out of their despicable, prejudiced, racist ways and conform with and join the rest of society as we become literally a cohesive society blended with different races, different cultures. Looking at you, Mike Pompeo, because I did not forget that from the beginning of this episode. We, we like to pretend that America is just this one ideal and everyone else who comes here, everyone else who is different, who's a different color, who speaks different languages, who practices different religions, who doesn't conform to the same gender norms or sexuality norms that we think are normal. Whenever those people come here and are open about who they are and try and be open about their culture and embrace who they are, we, we turn to them, we turn to them and we tell them, oh, no, 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 you have to conform to this very small, very specific part of what we think it means to be an American. And the fact of the matter is that as our world grows, as our country grows, as we become more diverse, as more people are starting to be born racially ambiguous, as mixed, as biracial, as we truly start to have a more a more a bigger blend of different cultures. Once we start to have that, it's very clear that we cannot hold on to these racist ideologies anymore. We can't keep holding on to these white supremacist values because it's just not realistic. It's not. And we we're starting to see as a country, I feel like, that we have to move forward. We have to move on from that. We cannot keep holding on to this idea of what America should be based on what America used to be. Because what America used to be is not what America is going to be. And by showing this group of people, by showing the MAGA supporters, by showing the white supremacists who rioted at the Capitol two weeks ago, by showing them that, 
we are, like I said, we're going to force them to either make a decision. We're going to force them to either be the outed racist white supremacists of society that nobody else wants to associate with, or we're going to force them to conform and we're going to force them to join the non-racist part of society that wants to move forward and wants to create a more perfect union. And I think, like I said, I think that's great. I don't think white supremacists should have a choice. I think that should be their only choice. Either you want to get better or you want to be hated by everyone in society. Those are your choices. And finally, I know I've really like jumped around this entire episode. I haven't like really gone in the like path and the pattern of conversations that I wanted to go in. But what needs to be done and what I'm really excited for, like I said, Biden is making a lot of great promises. Some of them, you know, kind of sound too good to be true. Some of them probably are not going to get done. Some of them are probably empty promises. But even if he just completes half of what he's promising, honestly, I'll walk away from the next four years probably pretty happy because most of what he's promising is incredible. Most of what he's promising is stuff that Democrats have either been trying to do for the last 20 years or it's stuff that Trump destroyed, ruined, changed during the last four years of his presidency. For example, first day in office, Biden wants to not only rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, but also wants to rejoin the WHO, which given that we're still in a global pandemic, I think would be a pretty smart idea. He also wants to issue a mask mandate when you're on federal property, and a lot of his first day and his first week will be dedicated strictly to COVID relief, which already, that may not seem like a lot, but keep in mind that's just for his first day or first week when it comes to all the COVID relief that he's passing. I am so incredibly excited because this, set, this sets a precedent for the next four years. The sense of urgency, the urgency that he has to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord on his first day in office, the urgency he has to rejoin the WHO and issue a mask mandate his first day in office. That is urgency that Donald Trump just didn't have, especially when it came to handling the pandemic. And we see how that worked out. It's, it's nice to finally have someone in office who not only takes the pandemic seriously, but also handles a lot of these other issues like climate, like racial inequality, with an urgency like I feel like they should be handled. Specifically on those issues, I am incredibly happy with the initiative that he's been taking on climate change. I love his plans when it comes to not only creating a space in this country where we're able to rely on renewable sources and renewable energy, but also in a, sp in a space where it creates jobs and in a, in a space where it will boost the economy and make our economy better, especially in the middle of a pandemic. I love that he plans to sign an executive order where he wants the United States to be, I believe, net zero emissions by 2050. That's amazing. And even though it might not be completely doable, even though it might not be completely realistic, I love the initiative. I love the initiative that he's taking, and I love how he's making this a prominent issue, especially because for the last four years, I don't think I ever heard climate change in, in that succession of words come out of Trump's mouth. So, like I said, it's refreshing to have someone actually thinking about it and actually planning on doing something about it. And I'm saying that knowing that that is such a low bar to hit, just someone talking about it and making potentially empty promises is not like a utopia. It's not incredible. It's not amazing. It should be the standard. But we've just been dealing with Mr. Mango Magoo in office for the last four years that Literally, I could take off my left shoe, pour Kool-Aid in it, and put it up on that podium, and it would be a better alternative than what we've been having to deal with for the last four years. I am so very optimistic with where not just 
climate change is going to go in terms of Joe Biden's plans and what he has in store and what he plans on doing, especially with the support of a, of a completely Democratic Congress. But I'm also incredibly excited to see everything he has planned not having to do with climate change, everything he has planned for criminal justice reform, everything he has planned for racial inequality, everything he has planned for the for education, everything he has planned for COVID, because he he has some amazing and big plans for COVID when it comes to getting people vaccinated, when it comes to slowing the spread of the virus, when it comes to making sure people are financially able to support themselves in a pandemic. It's it's that basic empathy for people that he doesn't know. It's that basic empathy for people that he might not sympathize with because he's not a working class person. It's the basic thought of people are struggling and people need help. And just because I'm not personally touched by this pandemic, just because I would have the greatest health care in the world, should I get sick, just because I never have to worry about paying my rent, just because I never have to worry about paying medical bills, just because I never have to worry about paying student loans, doesn't mean a person that I'm supposed to serve doesn't. And like I said, that is the basic train of thought that I want any elected official to have. That is the basic way of thinking and the basic amount of empathy that I want any person who is in any public office to hold for people. And it's refreshing that we finally have a president who, after four years of this nonsensical bullshit, has it again. We are truly on the cusp of a new America. We have a new president. We have a new administration entering the White House. We have a new House, a new Senate, and I truly believe that we are on the cusp of something great, but that does not stop with us. Remember to keep putting pressure on your local representatives, keep calling, keep emailing, keep pushing for better legislation, keep pushing for COVID relief for people, keep pushing for what is best for you and your families and the working middle class in this country. Do not let these people forget and do not let yourself forget that we are still in the middle of a crisis, we still need help, and these people are still supposed to serve us. Yes, today was wonderful. Yes, this week was wonderful. Yes, we are on the cusp of something new and brilliant and incredible, and I am so excited, but work does not stop. I'm still expecting Joe Biden to wake up tomorrow and do what he promised to do and sign the executive orders that he promised to sign and rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. I'm still expecting him to do all of this. Just because he's president does not mean he's immune to criticism. And if he does something wrong, if he does something I don't like, if he says something offensive or xenophobic or racist or sexist, I'll call him out on it. And I expect each and every one of you to do exactly the same because these people are still just that. They are still people. They are still capable of having flaws. They are still capable of doing bad things and making mistakes and signing bad policy. And just because this man is president does not mean that changes. And that I think is the disconnect that a lot of Trump supporters had as they thought, oh, this man is my president now. He is a celebrity. He's my idol. I need to glorify him. Everything he does is perfect. When in reality, that's not how people work. That nobody just gets to a high enough position in society and suddenly they don't make mistakes anymore. We still have to hold people accountable. We still have to fight for a better tomorrow. And we still have to fight for the future that we want and the future that we need. <sighs> Another episode come and gone, but Again, do not forget that message. It is so very important, especially now. I I want to see something better. I want to see a better tomorrow. I want to see a more equal future, and I want to see an America that I'm that makes me proud to be an American again. With that being said, guys, you know the drill. Be sure to subscribe and follow for weekly episodes uploaded every Sunday. Also, be sure to leave a rating and a review. It helps a lot.
Be sure to interact with and follow me on all my social media platforms. All of my handles are at Jalen Tully. And like always, be sure to check the description, not only for the content and links that I leave regarding this week's episode, but also in general, my link tree is always down there. So be sure to go sign petitions, be sure to go support GoFundMes, be sure to read up on those educational resources as always. A better tomorrow is on the rise, a better America is on the way, but it still takes us guys. So like always, be sure to leave this episode ready to educate often, learn freely, and to love equally. Happy Inauguration Day, and like always, take care, you guys.